Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. There's a lot to love about beer, and that can be tough to remember at times. So in honor of Valentine's Day, I've asked three enthusiastic folks to come on and share what makes their hearts flutter when it comes to lager and ale. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There, you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to other shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast with M. Souter and Don Tess simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. Don't forget, follow All About Beer on Instagram, Threads, X, and Facebook at All About Beer. And to keep up with all of the smoked beer news and releases, check out This Week in Rauk Beer by searching the group on Facebook or following at Beer on X, Threads, and Instagram. Glassware and apparel is also available too on allaboutbeer.com slash merch. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks really does go a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. There's even a pro tier available for all of you professional brewing companies and other organizations out there. If you'd like to learn more about advertising on the show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. So it's pretty well documented that I can be a cynic about certain things. Sometimes this extends to beer. But on a day like Valentine's Day, it's good to remember the positive and the things to love about beer and the industry producing it. So to help in that endeavor, I've asked three wholly positive people to come on the show and to talk about what inspires them, where the love can be found, and the reasons to get back out there and approach pints with fresh, heart-shaped eyes. Up first is Aaron M.J. Gore. He's the Director of Partnerships and Community for Arrived, helping to connect craft breweries with the tools and resources that they need to succeed. With a decade of sales, retail management, and business analytic experience in the craft beverage industry, he loves the opportunities that he has every day to make a difference for small businesses and owners across the country. He is an advanced Cicerone, certified pommelier, certified cheese scholar, and is a AFNA beer certified. Additionally, he is an active industry advocate, public speaker, beer educator, and the father of two daughters who are, he says, the true passion of his life. Tom M. is a Connecticut-based beer personality who runs the handle It's Always Stout Season on Facebook and Instagram. He says that everything beer-related he does, from fundraisers to raffles, is for charity, including one of his favorites right now, the Similo Cancer Center at Yale New Haven Hospital. He was also responsible for setting up the GoFundMe account that is currently helping writer Alex Kidd. And Annette May is an advanced Cicerone BJCJ, BJCP judge, certified sake professional, and is a 27-year veteran of the craft beer industry. She works full-time as a beer and sake educator, as faculty in the Schoolcraft College Brewing Program, where she teaches aspiring brewers century evaluation, beer service, draft management, and beer pairing with food and sake as well. 
Uh, she is a regional instructor, exam proctor, and exam grader for the Cicerone Certification Program, and is a founding member and current scholarship director of Fermentia, a women's craft beverage collection, which is a 501c3 that educates and gives scholarship to women in the fermented beverages industry. She also serves on the Brewers Association's Drought Quality Subcommittee, the BA's Mentorship Subcommittee, and is a mentorship mentor in their mentorship program. She and her husband, Mike, as you'll hear in a minute, who is the brewer in the family, are in the process of opening up a brewery and restaurant in the Eastern Market, Detroit, which will be called Full Measure Brewing. The brewery will feature traditional beer styles, serve superbly, and the restaurant will feature locally sourced foods with an emphasis on fermented foods. They all joined me via Zoom. Here's our conversation. Thanks all for being here. I, I, I appreciate it on, on this Valentine's Day show. And Annette, in reading your bio, I, I was excited about the brewery that you and your husband are planning on opening in Detroit. Um, yes. Hopefully fairly soon, right? Is there it's hopefully it's it's a work in, in progress or in process because we bought a um hundred year old building and it just and it's big and it requires a lot of work. But hopefully by the end of the year. We've been so, working on it for a couple of years already, just the building and construction. Th- th- there is I'm sure a lot of excitement about opening, and I, I don't know how many brewers I've talked to and, and owners I've talked to who are in the process of opening where um I meet them and they are in that uh, their soul has been crushed phase by delays or costs or construction or worry and and and, and all of that. Um, you strike me as very upbeat at the moment. Um, and since this is the love show, what do you love about the process of opening up a brewery in 2024? Um, I think, you know, with our situation, it's really anticipation. Um of what we're be, what we will be doing. I, I've got to say, I'm not that much directly involved. My husband is one of the three partners. He's also the brewer. Um, so you know, day to day, I'm not sure if I'm going to actually have a role in there. But I think the big thing is anticipation um, and what you know, thinking about the glee on people's faces. I hope um, when they're drinking Mike's beer and also eating the the food that we're having because we're having a, a restaurant in there uh, and it's all based around fermentation and food pairings. And so that's really what it is for me right now. Okay. Other than that, it's too far off to really think anything more. I'm also excited to see my husband smile because right now, you know, he's been spending six months um, cutting chunks of concrete out of the floor doing construction so I'm excited to see him smile when he actually starts thinking about brewing and writing a recipe. I like that. Um, Aaron, you're pretty much everywhere if uh, social media is to be believed. Um, what have you come across in your more recent travels that, I don't know, inspired you or reignited what seems to be already a pretty strong burning passion for beer these days. Yeah, no, I, I think we're in a weird spot as an industry where there is an enormous amount of, uh, you know, doom and gloom for lack of a better word for, from people who have been in this industry for quite a while. But the thing that always captures my imagination and, and excitement is the fact that there's still a lot of people for whom opening a brewery is a dream. And in a lot of ways, the people who are opening those breweries right now are, 
better prepared for what that means than any previous generation. And, you know, some people see that almost in the negative sense. I see it in the exact opposite. I think that uh, means that we're growing up a little bit as an industry and we're getting people who have all that same passion, but they're coming in without having to make it up as they go along. You know, they have the resources, they have the understanding, and they realize that at the end of the day, this is like any small business, something that is going to require an enormous amount of work above and beyond just brewing beer. And that has me excited. I really do think that the best years of craft beer aren't behind it. They are ahead of it because we're finally getting people stepping into this industry, whether it's with incumbent breweries or ones that are, are fresh to the market that are doing this with intention and treating it like the business that it always has been. But for a long time, we've been able to kind of uh, treat it more like an expensive hobby. And it's also for the first time in the industry, I, I really feel like we're starting to see the consumer become a uh, you know, a little more focused on the community aspect as well. For a long time, our consumers were the people who are as diehard into craft beer as we were. And, you know, that's awesome. That's great. But breweries were always meant to be third spaces and they were always meant to be community gathering places. And for the first time, I really see people taking seriously the fact that for a long time, people were gathering together because of the beer. And now people are gathering together over a beer. I like that. Um, Tom, and I want to jump to you now just because sort of to, to, to piggyback off of that a little bit, but I know you spend a lot of your time on social media. That's where you do a lot of your your outreach and 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 your work. Um, and it seems like a lot of time people take to those sites to complain, to uh, you know, throw shade or uh, express displeasure or whatever. But what are the positive aspects? Like what are the is is sort of like what Aaron was saying. Can that apply to the virtual spaces as well? I mean, it can. I mean, you, you look at. I mean, yes. If, if you've been online, uh, and I've been online since you know the inception of what I can remember, um, everyone's going to always be negative, and and everyone's going to complain because you're hiding behind a keyboard and you're you're an anonymous person. You could say whatever you want, and there's no repercussions. Uh, can it be positive? Yeah people could show the positive message, what you're doing, the stuff that I do for charity. People see that. I mean, when, you know, Alex kid, uh, you know, announced that he had uh, colon cancer, stage four colon cancer, people reached out to me right away and were like, can you do something? You do this all the time. And if they didn't know that they wouldn't know what to do because people are like, well, what should we do? We should do something. Tom, you do a lot. What can we do? You know, I started the GoFundMe. It's a simple yeah. thing like that. Um, but it's 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 just showing I, I, in a lot of local, you know, influencers here in Connecticut. I always throw back at them: What are you doing with your influence? What are you doing to make positive? Yes, you're getting popular on the internet. Yes, you're you're creating these. You got a great following, and you're making these cool reels or TikToks. But what are you doing to help your community to make it better? What are you giving back? Um, you know, always look at the Mr. Beast example. I've been watching Mr. Beast probably before he probably when he was at a million when he started i'm like who's this guy oh i like this guy i'm doing kind of the same thing but more local and he's just got a bigger following and look how much he's blown up and he just puts everything back into the community and does a lot of philanthropy and stuff like that so that's how we can be positive and see more and more people doing that maybe become a trend and do stuff more for charity and i mean that's unfortunately that's how, kind of how society works it has to be a trend it has to be fun to do and it has to get me views and me get me more popular and get more looks on my page that's great i make memes 
Why? Because that's what the community wants. And that's what's going to get more followers to my page. And if I get more followers to my page, that's more money when I do something for charity. Oh, you got a bottle rifle? Oh, you're doing an event? Oh, I want to go to that event. Okay, this is cool. And the more eyes on that, you know, so you you have to, I, I guess, I, I, I try to send a message to be more positive. Yeah, we're all going to, you know, uh, be negative of things. But, you know, if you have a problem with a brewery, tell them. Don't just blast them on social media. If you have a problem with their beer, message them. Now, if they don't answer and you've gone about every other way, then maybe bring it to a community and talk about it and be like, hey, has anybody else had this problem? I've had a problem. And hopefully that community listens and that brewery listens and fixes their problem and said, nope, you're wrong, you know, and you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a Cicerone. It's like, yeah, but this is <laughs> the people that are buying your beer. These are the people that are spending the money on your beer. And if you start pushing them away, well, that just it's a, leaves a bad taste in, in everyone's mouth for the industry where no one's going to go to your brewery and then they go to another brewery. Well, they're mean. I don't want to go there. I, the breweries that I go to the most is not the best beer in the world, but they're great beer and it's great atmosphere and they take care of you. It's still at the end of the day, it's still customer service. It's a great experience. I've learned that from Trader Joe's. What does everyone say when they walk into a Trader Joe's? What do you give your employees? Like, yeah, we have, we give them drugs. We put it in their water. We give them drugs. It makes them extremely happy. And if you walk into Trader Joe's, our product is not the best product. You can't get everything at a Trader Joe's, but you get a great customer experience and you get that experience that you go, I'm going to keep coming back here because they value my patronage. They value my visits. They value me as a customer. Well, that's all breweries have to do. You don't have to make the best beer in the world, but you have to value your customers. And when you're do all the negativity online and everyone's negative, negative, negative. Well, is your customers aren't valuing that brewery, but you could turn a negative into a positive with any brewery and make that negative experience for someone into a positive. And then, wow, look at what that brewery did and do it online and look at what that brewery did. I'm going to go visit them more because they're cool. I like how they handle that. Tom, if Trader Joe's ever started a brewery and they put you in charge, I just got to tell you, I would definitely go there. Well, I, I mean, it would be know, all stouts, though, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it would be all stouts. <laughs> New England gets very cold. That's, that's okay with me. New England style stouts is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I no. out there. You have to make it like <laughs> yes, exactly. How do you make a stout hazy and juicy? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I mean, no. you know, very I very carefully. I mean, I'm getting. You know, you see, uh, if you go online, you see a few breweries. I forgot what it was. I think it's in Virginia, and they're literally pouring. If they call it a stout, and I go, "This is a milkshake." It's literally a milkshake. It doesn't have the color or anything. And I think that's like, I would consider a New England style stout. You know, it'd mm. be just hazy, juicy, milkshakey, thick. And I'm just like, no, make a stout. Make a stout for people to drink stouts. You know, you know, yeah, I like a pastry stout or barrel aged stout, but like let's stop reinventing the wheel and just and stop putting all this shit in our beer, you know, stop making all these crazy flavors and stuff like that. I think, and that's why, uh, now we're going a different topic. I think that's why loggers, yeah, yeah. sorry, loggers and everything are making a comeback because people are tired of these crazy, crazy beers. They want beer flavored beer. Yes. It's like exactly. number one on the list for me. Yeah. Beer flavored beer. Cause I mean, the world of beer flavors is so vast just using the basic ingredients. When I want to go back to what Tom was talking about, though, about some of the the breweries that are like crushing it in a good way that that are giving people that 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 positive experience um, and that can really sort of lead to 
excitement and you know dare i say love of of a particular brand um and and that when you hear stuff like that what's a brewery or two that comes to mind for you that does that you want names of breweries oh yeah why not yeah well i live in michigan or you know detroit um the number there's there's a couple here and, and one of them is batch brewing and they're in basically downtown detroit or close-ish um there's another one called urban rest um, what they do for, there's so many things. Um, they do a lot for the community. They're always raising funds, doing good things. Um, they're very family friendly, welcoming. Again, that's got to do with laws with, you know, dogs. They allow dogs. Well, one of them does. And that, that depends on laws in the state. Um, so there's that, it's, it's an experience. And so Batch and Urban Res provide an experience for the whole family, not just the beer drinker. Um, the other thing that is really exciting as part of the reason they're my main picks is beer service. They care so much about it. You know, every beer is poured properly with foam. Every beer's in a beer clean glass. Um, it, the whole beer service thing is superb. And that is so important because bottom line, you want that beer to taste as the brewer intended. So like a combination that. of beer service, not being too fat. Everyone needs to make money. So sure, you know, these breweries do triple hopped, DDH, blah, blah, blah. But they also <laughs> have beers that are beer flavoured beer. Great service. Really nice bartenders uh, or, you know, bartenders that are good um, and community involvement. I like that. Aaron, yeah. same question to you, though. Yeah, I've got a, a, a couple for sure. The first one I want to call out is one that I'm sure almost everybody listening to this is probably familiar with, and that'd be Lady Justice out of Colorado. Yep. Uh, Betsy, Allison, and everybody over there have really become uh, a, a uh, you know almost spokespeople for an entire community that is grossly underrepresented within the industry, that being the LGBTQ community, uh, and doing an enormous amount of outreach, but also just really putting a focus on creating a welcoming space for everyone and showing that this doesn't have to be something that's limiting for the industry to open up the door and widen the table, but quite the opposite. This creates an environment that is that much more rich and that much more diverse and that much more exciting because of it. And they're doing an enormous amount of emotional labor that really shouldn't fall on them. But I'm glad that we have people who are willing to put that time in and that energy in and it, honestly just tell their stories and be so good at raising that attention and turning it into actionable results. We're incredibly fortunate to have them around in the industry. But beyond that, I'd also love to call out the entire Charlotte, North Carolina brewing industry. Uh, you know, that's the area that I'm based out of. I'm in South Carolina right across the border. So I, I catch a little bit of shit from folks for that. But uh, every year for the last three years, myself and Nils Weldy, who's the executive director of the Rhode Island Brewers Guild, have run a charitable a collaborative brewing initiative called Court Shoes Only to raise money for acing autism, which helps provide outreach uh, resources and support for children with autism using tennis as a medium. And all three of those years, the Charlotte industry has just absolutely opened up their their hearts and their brew houses to be able to brew beer and uh, get it out into the market to raise those funds and raise awareness and really drive uh, activation and engagement with that cause. And that's something that they're not really getting anything in return for, but it didn't require a huge upsell. It was really honestly as simple as saying, hey, guys, our community has a need and we're trying to do something important here. And uh, more often than not, it turned into say no more. 
And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about this industry because that's not unique to us. It's not unique to Charlotte. That's something that you see in cities and states and regions all over the country, including some of those collaborations that really operate on a more national scale. Yeah. Annette, you spend a lot of time on, on education and when you're working with students, when you're working with people who want to evolve their relationship with beer, you know, be it professional level or uh, just want to be more uh, in, in, in engaged as a drinker. Do you, do you see that change happen in front of your eyes when, when you're talking with folks, do you, do you see that? I don't know that, that widening acceptance like I, I'm almost like, as I'm saying this, I'm sort of like picturing, you know, the folks who like, you know, welcome religion into their life and they have their arms outstretched kind of thing. Like, do, what is it like when you're standing in front of a classroom and 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 teaching? Can you see love blossom or um, respect blossom? I think it's more respect. Um, people enter brewing programs mostly because they already love um, what they often don't have is respect, respect for the product, respect for the process, respect for the people that are involved, respect for the history and, and the and the important people. And I really see that develop. Um, so many of our students will comment on that. I didn't realise was a huge one. Um, and it's nice to know that our instructors are really imparting some good knowledge that people are taking to heart so respect love is mostly there okay respect mm, that depends okay tom when you're working on some of the raffles or some of the the the, the gofundmes um i i imagine that there is something deeper than just somebody writing a check or just somebody uh you know digitally donating and then hoping for you know either a reward in response or just, you know, having their name on a, on a tally board somewhere. Do, do you get that impression? Um, I mean, the stuff I've done, there's really no rewards. I mean, I just look at what kind of the craft beer scene does. And I kind of took it where, you know, I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups that trade beer or quote unquote secondary market. And I go, wow, these people are really spending all this money on these beers. I go, well, if the, why don't I get some really, really good beer and put it up for a raffle? And I go, and they go, well, how about I make it a great value? And I go $5 a ticket or something like that. And people are like, oh my God, here's a hundred dollars. I would have spent it on beer, but I know it's going into a good thing. No one, I mean, the people that I deal with, at least um, in Connecticut and it, you know, I ship out and stuff like that. Um, if they win, if they're out of state, um, they're not looking for recognition. They're just going, I don't care if I win. I know it's going to a good cause. Um, and if I win bonus, if I don't, I don't. Um, and then you get some of the other people that are looking because, you know, gambling is gambling, you know, and they, they want to win certain really good beers that, um, that I have. Um, and they know it's going to the good cause. So they may spend a little bit more money. Um, I mean, the whole, the Alex kid GoFundMe, there was no rewards. There was no nothing. We just put it up there. And then when Alex said it was okay, he posted it and it blew up. Um, I think it's just under $400,000 um, that they raised for him and his medical bills and everything like that. But it's just, 
for you could see how many people cared and how many people he touched. And everyone's like, Tom, you did a great job. I go, I didn't do anything. I literally <laughs> set up the GoFundMe. I posted in the Barley Wine group, John, which you're a part of, which I didn't realize until the other day. Yeah. Um, um, I posted it in there. And like I, I said, said, I like to stay anonymous. I like to stay behind the scenes on these things. Of yeah, course. I posted yeah, it in yeah. there and I posted it out publicly to my people that kind of follow me and stuff like that. And people shared it. And I said, if Alex doesn't want this, then I will return the money back. And it was just that simple. And everyone's like, wow, like, how do I start a GoFundMe? How do I do this? And I go, Alex did everything. He posted it. He touched so many people's lives that made him laugh, that made him, you know, that enjoyed when I started following him years ago. I'm like, this guy's funny. This guy really makes some funny memes. And then just getting to talk to him a little bit more and then see him in the group and then seeing how the group interacts with each other and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, it's just, it's the love of community and it's the beer just brings us all together. And that's what we love about beer the most is bringing us together. There's a common thing that brings us together. Now, granted, yes, you get your fanboys and that's all they want to talk about beer and this and this, and the hops and, oh, this is thick and I can taste the cinnamon and this and this and, you know, and be, you know, like any other fan of wine or bourbons or tequilas or whatever, you could do that. But then, like you said in the beginning of a community, it brings us together. It brings us something that we all like. And then you just go off from there. I've made so many friends in the last 10 years in beer that I've made in that I've not made in my whole entire life. You know, the people I have now, that are considered very close to personal friends that I care for, that I'll do anything for. I've met in the last 10 years of my life. Why? Because beer was a common interest we had. And we go out for beers and we share beers. But do we talk about beers? Sometimes we do if we're trying some new bottles or something from a new brewery we haven't had and we'll discuss it. But then the topic of conversation goes off into other things. And beer is just that thing that brings us all together that we love the most. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Annette, I mean, you, you, you've you had a whole career based on that. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, I started in 95 and there's still people and I've watched, you know, over all this time, I think 27 years, um, I've watched people and it's one thing that keeps me in it. Um, people and of course, you know, on a personal level because of some of the work I do, um, I've been lucky enough to expand the people I've networked with to people around the country and all around the world and it's just so heartwarming. When you think about all these wonderful people and and how nice they are and kind they are. In general, of course, there's always exceptions. But I think across the board, that's one thing. That's one reason we're still going, the industry's still going, and why people are willing to gamble and go into it, even though it, we don't all make a ton of money. It's and, the people. And you do see that. You know, and you talk to anybody who's been doing this for quite a while. I mean, I haven't been doing it nearly as long as Annette, but I've been doing this most of my adult life. And, uh, you know, they'll all give you the same answer. You know, if you ask them why they do this, it's always the people. You know, the beer itself, that's the kernel. That's the little seed that uh, turns into this big uh, tree, this big flower of of human interaction. But at the end of the day, we don't love beer strictly for its hedonistic elements. It's not just about the taste. It's not just about the aroma. Uh, those are nice. Th those are great. Um, so one of the reasons I like pizza, but we love beer because of what else it brings with it. You know, we love it because of the fact that it smooths over some of those uh, social elements and, and brings people out of the shell. 
we love it because it gives us a common interest. Tom's point, something to really relate over and really come together over, even if we know nothing about each other, even if we're coming from entirely different worlds, at least we have that in common. And I think that's really the core of what makes the beer industry and the, and the larger craft beverage industry so special really is that human element, because if not for the people, then you know, why the hell are we doing any of this? The beer's good, too. And the beer's good, too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> really sometimes, sometimes well, the beer's sometimes, good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, beer is so unique, and that's, you know, one of my big loves is, is how unique the actual product is. Um, when – so, Aaron, when, when, you, when you talk about that, when you talk about just – you know the, the 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 you know the people and you know the cultural thrust and the 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 community and all of that. Um, what would you love to see work put towards? Like what what would you love to see um, people put some energy behind in the beer space to make things even better? And I'm going to ask Tom and, and Annette the same question. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. I'd like to see people move away from a lot of the same things that made this industry so great to begin with. And, you know, what I mean by that is part of what makes craft beer so compelling and what brought a lot of us into it was the fact that there is this tight cultural element to it. You know, it really is a subculture as much as it's a beverage, as much as it's an industry. And that is one of the reasons why we were able to bind so closely together. We were able to grow in the, in the face of the adversity of facing down macro beer and one of the things that really drew me to it initially, but we really need to recognize the fact that, you know, uh, we're starting to enter a more mainstream audience and that's okay. That doesn't mean that the diehards can't also still enjoy the things that draw us to it. But moreover, it also means we need to make a much bigger effort not to even unintentionally, even with the best intentions, uh, close ranks and really make people feel like an outgroup. I, you know, I've said for years that, you know, one of the I think the one of the main reasons our industry really does have so many people in it that come from the same demographic background. It, it wasn't necessarily done out of malice, but it was just that tight cultural element of people bringing people in that they were already hanging out with or already knew or, or already felt uh, affiliation with. And now we're at that step where even from a business standpoint, we really have to reach beyond our traditional strong points when it came to to customers and uh, people within the industry. And we need to become a more diverse, uh, richer tapestry of an industry. And that's something I think that we need to do with intention, because no matter how much we talk about creating these welcoming environments, if we're not going out and making that apparent and making that outreach and making active efforts, then that isn't necessarily being communicated to the people in the groups who need to hear it the most, need to be felt the most welcomed and the most safe in these environments. Annette, what would you like to, to see people put some focus on to help them love the industry even more? There's, you know, two main things for me, and Aaron started into it. Um, There's a lot of work already being done in in this section, but um, it's it's getting women back to their rightful place in brewing um, because that was us way back then, as everybody knows, Um, getting more respect for women because they were the original brewers. And I'm not just talking about here. Um, In South Africa, for instance, you know, everybody's grandma made, you know, ukumboti, but to this day, 
um, you know, most people don't even know that. Everybody's grandma made it. It was in, made entirely, and they still do. Um, however, unfortunately, um, as far as I know, it's mostly the men that still drink it. So getting, you know, the role of women in the industry, which, again, there's already been a lot of work with that. The other thing that's really important to me um, is to really getting people to understand the product because, you know, we all come across this time and time again. I don't like beer and, you know, beer to them is one beer or, you know, we have all the beers and it's, you know, every American or international pale lager you go to a restaurant. Getting people to understand the product and approaching it from a culinary aspect I think is really crucial because so many people just have no idea about the wonderful flavours of beer. And I'm not talking about when you add vanilla and donuts. I'm talking about <laughs> base ingredients, how wonderful it is. And I, how feel like that, I feel like that's an attack on Tom and his love of stouts because that's where most of the donuts go. <laughs> well, um, you know, there's lactose in, in everything these days, which is also sad, and that should be in stout, yeah. But understanding beer as a culinary product, I think, is is crucial. And, yeah. I, you know, I, pe there's a lot of people out there doing it. I'm one of them. Aaron does it. Tons of people. But more of that. Yeah. And I definitely think that for a lot of people, they to and that's point, you know, they think that beer is not for them and they don't realize just the sheer depth and breadth of flavors you can capture, even within those four simple ingredients. Oh, uh, you know, I tell people anytime they say, you know, I don't like beer. You know, you, you, there's a beer for you. You just haven't found it oh, yet. Okay. And that, that's not on them. The onus is on us as an industry to help them along that journey because the same things that make beer so wonderful, that enormous diversity of flavors, of aromas, of, of styles is also what can make it so difficult to find the ones that really connect with you. So I, to Net's point, I think we need to be able to do that engagement and do that education and be able to help people realize that maybe as a red wine drinker, you know, Duchess of Borgonia is exactly what they need in their life. And they may never have found that without those of us who do this for a living, helping them along that journey. Well, everybody needs the Duchess in their life, but um, I don't disagree. Uh, Tom, same question to you though, um, and and especially like living in the digital space as much as you do, um, is there is there a way to sort of connect with people to help them, or something that they can do to help them love it a little bit more, or is it harder with ones and zeros? Well, first of all, all breweries need to make more stouts. That'll bring more people in. That's my, you know. <laughs> Line forms to the left. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I'm going to piggyback on a lot of what everyone said. Um, I think it's, uh, my whole story is I was a non-beer drinker. Um, I was, my nickname, people say what the M stands for is Magners. I, my nickname, when I started uh, <laughs> helping out my friends open a craft beer bar, I drank Magners all the time. And I, I'm a red wine cider drinker, mostly cider. And uh, I just, my friends over, I'm all turning 45 this year and friends over and over and over again, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this. And I try everything. Disgusting, disgusting. I can't stand it, can't stand it. And then the owner of the bar is like, you like coffee, you like chocolate. And he gave me Wolliver's uh, coffee porter. And I was like, this isn't bitter at all. And my mind exploded. And that's kind of where the whole stouts and stout season and I would just go look for stouts and go look for maltier beers. Never knew malty beers, uh, uh, Belgian beers existed and stuff like that. And I would start drinking all these other beers that I've never heard of because what was on tap was your all your macros and maybe one small brewery. Connecticut's a very, I think I say we're in our, pre, not preteen years, but we're starting to become teenage years in 
uh, beer wise. So people are still learning about these beers. And then you have the people that have been around forever and been drinking all the stuff from Cantillon and all the Belgian breweries and then all these uh, microbreweries when they were called microbreweries. And um, they, it's just edu- like, and and that said, it's educating the people. You go to a craft beer uh, bar or a brewery, you should be able to get at least six different styles at any time. And I'm not talking about a, a single, a double, a triple IPA. I'm talking about an IPA, you should get a Pilsner, should have a lager, should have some sort of a dark beer. So maybe an amber or blonde. And then, you you know, depending on the type of season it is, you know, always a stout though. Um, but so they could come in and try. Um, one of my favorite breweries is New England Brewing Company. And I would go there and I would only really go there in the winter and like, you know, February and stuff, because that's when all the dark beers go on. And during the summer, except for Galaxy Pale Ale, which I like Galaxy Hops for some odd reason. Um, during the summer, <laughs> you, are, you are just a conundrum. My gosh, oh, I'm all over the place. Um, <laughs> you know, I would only go there in the summer because it'd be 40, not 45, but I'm exaggerating, but a lot of IPAs and singles and doubles. And they learned where um, we can't put these. We have to have some dark beers. We have to have a, a, a Bach on. We have to make uh, a, a Schwartz beer. We have to make all these different styles and guess what? Educate our customer about it or they learn about it. And when they go to another brewery, they try it and they start liking beers they've never even heard of. Um, and that's just with the beer aspect with, uh, you know, getting us more involved uh, with an said women in brewing and minorities mm-hmm. in brewing, you know, like two of the biggest cha- uh, sacred heart Academy uh, in Connecticut uh, has two scholarships. Um, one is for an African-American student. And the other is for women in brewing. I donate to both every year as much as I can. Whenever I raise like extra money and stuff, I give it to them or I put it on whatever raffle or something I do. And I try to give them as much money as I can because it's helping other people. Because unfortunately, the brewing business is white male business and that's what it's deemed. Well, you have to bring in other cultures into it. And those other cultures are going to have different aspects and different types of um ways they want to drink their beer yeah it's not the you know what you always see on tv the the schnapp oh yes and they're swirling their bourbon in their glass or their cognac and they're all ties and it's the tapestries and leather bound chairs and leather bound books on the shelf and that's the stereotypical of oh this is fancy well beer was never meant to be fancy beer was the cheap option liquors and wine were the fancy for the rich well now Beers are coming into $30, $40 a bottle, $50 a bottle. You go to Anchorage Brewing and you're spending $75 a bottle for 12 ounces. And it's a phenomenal beer. But you're spending these more and more money. and the But not everyone could afford that. Well, beer was always meant to be bring that community together and everyone together. Not the Bud Light commercials and Bud commercials where, you know, back in the day, you had Spud McKenzie on the beach with all these women in bikinis and stuff like that. And it was like, yeah, a real man drinks Bud. You know, it's like, what? No, anybody can drink Bud. Anybody can drink anything they want. But it would deter all the women in brewing or LBGT community or African-Americans brewing. Like, well, that doesn't fit my demographic. It doesn't fit what I want. I want to go there. Like, no, well, make your own way of drinking beer and make your own beer. And, you know, we did the Black is Beautiful um what, three years ago i think yeah, it was maybe four summer of 2020 yeah was it 2020 and it i literally bought all the beer that connecticut made plus try to get as much as i can from other 
and raffled it off. And I said, here's a set. And I gave away two full sets. And I think I raised like $2,500 um, just raffling off all the stuff that Connecticut made and donated it right back into uh, Sacred Heart Academy's scholarship. Um, you're awesome. You're awesome, Tom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I try. I mean, like I, I said, go ahead. Can I be you when I grow up? <laughs> I mean, if you want to be an all, alcoholic, sure. It's very easy. All you can I, drink is stouts. Well, see, and that's also the funny thing is, too. Technically, if I'm on a public and I'm not drinking a stout, oh, my God, the camera phones come out, pictures, Tom's not drinking a stout. It's Scandal. Just someone, well, yeah, it's like just, when I show up without a bow tie. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, you get you get uh, typecast pretty quick. There yeah, is I, no I, John my, without a bow tie. It does not exist. The John without husband, a bow tie cannot hurt you, people. He cannot hurt you. My husband gets that if he wears shoes. If my he wears shoes. Well known, well known <laughs> in the boy community. <laughs> On a, and homebrewing community on a national level because he's a long, long, long-standing homebrewer. Um, yeah, he gets that if he wears shoes. He's known as Barefoot Mike, and uh, he does wear them in the brewery when he's brewing. Okay, I was, no. I was, ab I was about to Same. say this is going to be the call from Terry Farendorf in a moment. Of, oh yeah, no, uh, he, of course PPE. he does. Of course he does. Okay. He doesn't win his homebrewing though, but he, you know, obviously in a commercial brewery, he's a he's a smart man. But okay. yeah, when he wears shoes. But anyway. Okay. Uh, he owns pairs of shoes, right? Or just one pair of shoes? He only really has, he has his um, steel-toe work boots. Yeah. Uh, it, it's steel-toe gum boots for brewing. Um, and he has a pair of uh, steel-toe red wings. And he has one pair of good shoes. And that's it. Okay. That's it. I feel like I want to keep going down this path. But since he's not here to to talk about it himself, I, I'm, 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 I'm going <laughs> to... I would listen to that episode. <laughs> I mean, after the, after the Super Bowl last night with the Jesus commercial and washing the feet, people like, I never knew that was a Jesus. I, I didn't understand it was a Jesus commercial. I'm like, yeah. Sermon on watch, the Mount. Yeah. Yeah. But the washing the feet of it. And now we're talking about, you know, brewing a barefoot. So it's like, wait a minute. Okay. It's all connected, Tom. All connected. Uh, all connected. The, the, it's, it's the wording of the feet. If there's uh yeah. Sorry. I'm going to show myself out. Um, <laughs> Um, Annette, I, I wanted to jump back to you quickly. Um, have you seen a renewed interest in education around beer? I feel like the pandemic kind of screwed everything up, but even in the, the, the 20 teens where there was such an explosion of breweries opening and, you know, local was the name of the game and, 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 you know, it was just how many tap rooms can you get to in a weekend on a bar crawl kind of thing that it, you know, and with the rise of a uh, you know internet apps and things like that, um, that there wasn't necessarily the focus on thinking about what people were consuming, what what we were all were consuming, as much as it was just trying to keep up with everything that was out there. And I feel like education, which for the early part of the two thousands had been paramount, and beer dinners and uh, talking about culinary experiences and all that, that for the teens at least. It, it started to wane a little bit and then the pandemic kind of screwed it up. But in, have you seen an upswing? Oh, in definitely. Okay. I mean, the pandemic definitely screwed things up. And, you know, if anybody follows any kind of education, college-based um, attendance and enrollment, it's down across the board. Um, but there's been such a, a resurgence. I have totally lost track of how many brewing programs there are now. And I talk to a lot of people um, I'm in the mentorship, the BA's mentorship program, and I talk to my mentees because they're from all over the country about 
you know, consider doing some better education if that's what you want to do. And invariably, there's something in their state. So there's actually a lot of programs, a lot, a lot, a lot, which is great. Um, but it, I, I think over the years, they have increased and increased and increased. So like formal brewing programs, but also things like Cicerone. Um, more and more people want to do Cicerone. More and more people want to learn Um yeah, so I guess the overall answer is yeah. There's there's definitely a renewed interest. It, it sort of feeds off each other. One, you know, you realise that you don't really know as much as you thought, especially when it comes to brewing science. And so you start, you know, reading about brewing science, and then all of a sudden you think, well, I, I'm going to take this class on brewing science. It's like, well, hang on, well, I'm going to take this draft class on draft management because that's all about physics and biology. You know, biofilming draft lines, blah blah blah. So it, it's also feeding off each other and people talking about them. So, yes, I think definitely renewed interest from yeah. a lot of different areas. BJCP still, you know, like there's a lot of interest in BJCP and learning and becoming a judge and, yeah. I, I like that. And, Aaron, you obviously see that at all of the various state conventions that you're going to, the conferences. Oh, 100%. I mean, the the energy is still there and it's still high. And, and honestly, a lot of what I'm seeing is just that we've really moved the industry out of what it once was. It used to be a lot of extremely passionate, uh, extremely, frankly, obsessed people. And I, I count myself among that. And that, you know, pardon me, I'd probably count you in that as well. You know, this mm -hmm. is what we do and it's also who we are. And now you're starting to see people are entering in this with plenty of passion, but they're entering into it with a more of a sense of professionalism and frankly, with a lot more resources than they once had. Mm -hmm. um, and I do love the fact that beer more than almost anything else that I can think of, it touches so many different things. And I, I talk all the time about this. I've learned more about history and I've learned more mm -hmm. about accounting. I've learned more about hospitality and I've learned more about human resources through my work in beer than I ever would have expected to or ever probably would have done in just about any other line of work because it is such a universal constant. I mean, right now I'm learning about SaaS companies and, and tech startups and the environment that I'm at that arrived, which has been absolutely just invigorating and exciting. But at the end of the day, it still interfaces with this thing, beer, that's kind of the connected tissue for all of it. So I'm definitely seeing a ton of energy still within the industry as people are coming into this and really wanting to not make this their retirement hobby yeah. and not just make it their passion, but they want to have a go at making it as a legitimate business that starts top to bottom with a fully vetted uh, business plan with enough funding to be able to survive the inevitable four month delay on opening up that every single brewery ever has had to go through. And they want to understand how to take care of their people and run a uh, run good compensation programs and be able to provide at least some modicum of benefits downstream. You know, it's, it's, people who are coming into this with the tools to do this better than those of us who came before ever even thought to do. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm, I agree. That teaches us about geography too, because somebody mm -hmm. will say, I come from so-and-so and you say, Oh, I know that town because there's a brewery there. God, that <laughs> happens so often. I've learned so much about us geography from that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And not only, you know, us, you know, overseas, international. Yeah. 
That international scene too just has me extremely excited. You know, it's so easy for us to, especially given that craft beer in its modern form really kind of was centered here in the U.S. But you know, UK has had an incredible brewing scene for for ages and ages and ages. That's also starting to develop its uh, kind of new generation that that's pushing things forward. And you have countries that have not had much of a native brewing culture, or at least not one that's moved outside of the household. Who, yes, are in a lot of cases taking notes from American craft beer now but some of the ones that have been doing this for a few years like brazil or argentina or japan or spain are starting to really put their own spin on things as well in ways that we never would have thought of over here uh whether it's native ingredients or just a native outlook on on what they want to make a beer and how they want to enjoy it to tom's point earlier uh, that's exciting. That just increases the tapestry because we live in a connected age where that information circles its way back here and gives us more options to play with as well. And the Ukraine, I'm, you know, yeah. ongoing assignment with Lana Svetankova and her Ukrainian golden, golden ale. It's really lovely. She is the here. best. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. She is the best person. We had a, a fun podcast, just a, a, a shameless plug for the All About Beer podcast with them, Souter and Don Tess, where Lana was on talking about the Ukrainian golden ale and everything behind it. So um, go Thank listen you. to that if you if you haven't. Um, before I let you all go, and you've you've certainly shared the love of 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 beer in the industry and the the hope and promise of it all, but I wanted to ask each of you the green door question, which is something I've been doing on the show for. I guess going back to pandemic times now, but the the premise is on the television show, The Good Place, in the final season, they introduce a concept of the green door and the characters are able to walk through this green door and be anywhere they want doing whatever they want to be doing. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and you could walk through it when this conversation ended and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Annette. Where would I want to? I know who I want to be with. Charles Banforth. Oh, the Pope of Foam. <laughs> the Pope of Foam. You know, and that's the first person. That I thought you were going to say Barefoot Mike. Um, but <laughs> well, you know, you know, where would I want to be is possibly in my basement, but that's not helping the community or spreading the word. No, that's fine. Um, because I always you want have, Charlie Bamforth in your basement. I mean, it sounds would, like a beer horror movie, Charlie, but yeah. I would love to have Charlie. He's my beer hero, and I just missed out on meeting him at the Michigan Brewers Guild Conference because I could only stay for day one because I had to come back because I teach, and he was there on day two and three, and oh. I cried. I was like, oh, my chance to gush all over Charlie. So, I, you know, I just think he's brilliant, of course, and he's course. also hilariously funny, and he's such a smart ass. I just, I love that combination about him. What? So, so think, while you're in your basement with Charlie, what would you like to be drinking? Um, I'm just going to go all out with Charlie and say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale because what an iconic, beautiful beer. There's a million beers I'd love to drink, but great head of foam too. A, a, a fresh, a fresh draft beer poured through clean lines into a beer clean glass um into it doesn't have to be a fancy glass but something that's going to hold the foam poured with a proper head of foam and obviously if charlie or i or my husband was pouring it it would be all of the above i love that uh, i would like to talk to charlie about this beer because i think everybody knows he's doing work with sierra he is yeah and what an iconic beer and it's still a beautiful beer to this day tom 
any pub, any brewery, anywhere in the world, uh, where do you want to be? Uh, who do you want to be with? And what stout are you drinking? Well, there you go. It's it's. I, I should I should say I should say uh, a nice crisp lager. No, yeah. Um, I just throw you. I'm gonna have a Hellas in my glass. Yeah. It's, I yeah. mean, there's nothing wrong with a good Hellas. Uh, nice rice lager. You know, hey. Um, to be honest, I don't know. Um, my whole deal is just go out somewhere and have an adventure. You know, and don't really plan stuff. I mean, when I was starting to get into beer, like plan the breweries that you want to go to. Go to Vermont. Plan all these stuff. Now I just pick an area that has a lot of breweries and I go and I look and see, you know, what's out there. Um, you know, I, I go to Greenville now all the time, Greenville, South Carolina all the time. And I just don't play anything. I just go and I got to get Sierra Nevada sooner or later. It's only an hour away. Um, but I, I think, I don't know if it's got to be a stout. I mean, I would love to go to Anchorage, Alaska uh, to go see Anchorage, to go see their whole brewing process, maybe Weltworks for stout wise. But I, honestly the most iconic stout would be go to Dublin and just have a Guinness at Guinness uh, yeah. and just see what everyone talks about where American Guinness is not the same as, you know, uh, you know, I, Ireland at Dublin, you know, their Guinness, it's different where I hear about all the competitions that all the bars have who could pour a proper pint. And I've learned how to pour a proper pint, you know, 119.5 seconds and all that stuff. And Except just, except on St. Patrick's Day. Well, no, I I worked at a so the bar I used to work at was <laughs> deemed an Irish bar, and we still tried to do proper pints as much as possible. We would never, ever, 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 ever pour it full and just hand it to the customer. Where I've gone sure. to other places, and here's a full pour right to the top and hand it to the customer. You pour it on the crown. You you pour it. You let it sit. Now, granted, if it sits longer than the 119.5 seconds. I understand that, but you never hit. It always would be three quarters of the way full, and then you would top it off and then give it to the customer. You never, ever. And granted, yes, we were pouring Guinness like crazy. And yeah. plug for St. Patrick's Day, if bars do not have Guinness Zero, because it's not on draft, it's only in cans, right. every bar should have it because it is delicious. And I was shocked at how great it was. And it's good. It, it is. So yeah, good, no, and I, it will I, save I keep it in mind, I, I, yeah. It will save so many headaches for people getting wasted. And I granted, yes, you want to get wasted, get wasted, but be safe. Get an Uber, drink, you know, make plans that you can get home safe. But or just go drink, get a zero and switch it up and drink a Guinness and again a zero and you know uh, every other, and you'll be perfectly fine if you're going to drink all day. Um, just and who with um, just friends, just or just new people and okay. discovering new people. Just sit me in a pub and I'll just sit there and start making conversations and learning about whatever culture and whatever goes around. And I mean, that's how you learn is you talk and you, um, you know, you guys are both advanced Cicerones and one of my good friends, uh, Max finance is a master Cicerone. And his oh, man. Max. Yeah. We like I Max. Love, and I love he's, Max. He's my plan B for where, who do I want to be with and where do I want to go? See, and he's wow. awesome to drink with and just sit there and be educated. And, uh, my only time I went to, um, uh, not CBC, but JBF. And he was there. He was judging. And him and Emma Sauter were both there. And I watched them because they were both still learning. She's kind of put it on pause, but he was still trying to get the master level. She's got and a they, budding podcast career now. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they would just go around and talk about beer and be educated. And I love listening to them talk about unique things and telling me flavors I'm supposed to taste. And it's helped me when I try stuff to match flavors up 
with like green apple or the other day we were drinking a stout and it was a coffee stout and I was with friends and I go and I smelled it and I smelled jalapeno, which is green coffee flavored. And I go to my friends who are learning about beer and they have a podcast. And I was like, here, what do you smell? And they're like peppermint. Well, like what else do you smell? And I go, I get a little like pepper jalapeno. I go, exactly. And go, that means the coffee's going out and it's stuff like that. It's like, really? So he handed over buddy. What do you smell? And he smelled the same thing. I go now lock that into your memory. And that means your coffee is slowly fading away. I've had it where it's literally spicy jalapeno before. And I'm like, I had to tell the brewer, I go, Hey, I think it's gone bad. You should. T-. And it was a Boston <laughs> cream pie stout. And I go, I don't think you want jalapeno flavor in your sweet, you know, pastry stout. And he took it away and he took all the cans away and the cans were over a year old. And I was like, all right, but yeah, that's, that's, it's just about education. And I love learning. I love learning about everything. I'm still learning about beer. I'm still learning about flavors. And I just love. We all are. Yeah, and exactly. We never stop. It never stop. Never stop. No. And yeah. just sitting yeah. there and listening to someone talk about beer styles and talk about this and educate them. What am I supposed to be smelling? What am I supposed to be tasting? And then just put it in your back of your brain. It's funny. Treehouse just uh, put something, a post, uh, name the nine beers. And I was just by color alone. And I was like, Treehouse, come on, stop. You can't do that. But if someone nails it, they put nine beers and like four of them look exactly the same. And I'm like, how can you do that just by sight alone? It's I impossible. know when they put in the, the Citra before the Mosaic and then when they put in the Mosaic before the Citra. Yeah, uh, and Tom, you would definitely know the Galaxy. We established that's the well, one for you. Yes, the taste-wise. Blood Galaxy. all three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, wait. Before we go too far down, Aaron... Yes. Green oh, yeah, I guess I should probably answer it, too. Uh, no, uh, for me, it would be a brick store in Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. if you're talking about just a place that is absolutely doing it right and creating an environment that feels more than the sum of its parts. They are absolutely uh, the perfect example of that. And I'm actually going to steal a uh, little bit of your answer and say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, but on cask. Uh, it's one of the Ooh. very few places you're able oh, to yeah. get it. They always yeah. have it on. Uh, and that is Never my favorite beer. Cask. That is my favorite beer of all time. And you put it on cask and all of a sudden you realize that every time you've had it before, the right way that you should have been having it was on cask on all cask. along. Uh, yeah. I can yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely perfect. Uh, and as far as who I'd be drinking with, I'm actually going to go ahead and say Bart Watson. I'm a bit of a data nerd, oh. a bit of a junkie for uh, trends oh and information. So being able to uh, to swap socks and uh, hang out, having some drinks and uh, talking data and the, and the state of the industry, I'd, I'd enjoy the hell out of. I, I just want to, I don't mean to interrupt everyone, no, but I've got, to, I've got to do a shout out to my plan B, which is not only Max, but it was actually M. So, uh, you know, my plan B is sitting and having a West Mile triple at West Mile with M and Max Finance. Oh, man. I, can I get on that as a plan B as well? And, I mean, now all of a sudden it can Yeah, no, I'm going to I'm gonna start checking the All About Beer travel budgets and maybe we'll just do the whole well. show from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I have beers good. with them all the time. So Yeah, Tom, that's already your neck of the woods, man. Let's I, make yeah, this a thing. I mean, having a beer with M in Belgium, I mean, I, I just, you know, she's so just and, – and Max is just – lovely too and i know they're really good friends so. they are yeah. that's yeah. my plan b M-, M shops at my trader joe's all the time so i see her you know and i don't see max too often but uh you know last time i saw max we went down to narragansett to try the beer the barley wine that uh lee lord made lee. yeah so they uh we tried it. it was excellent it was a fun time we had fun i took pictures max did all the work um you know (laughs) but it was fun just i love it just even that the 
process of watching beer being made. I've been to definitely homebrew. I've made beer for charity with New England Brewing Company. I've made on homebrew systems, helping out friends. And I remember one time, one of my good friends, Bill, um, they did a homebrew, homebrew day at Two Roads and let everyone bring their equipment at Two Roads. And they were just making homebrew down in the brewery. This is before Two Roads doesn't have any more room. And Bill told me I was the only one asking questions. Everyone was there just to drink and hang out. And I was asking questions about everything. Why do you have the hops now? Why do you do this? Why do you do this? I'm a foodie. I love to cook. It's literally, we're just making soup. We're making soup that has turns into alcohol. And that's what we're doing. So like, why would you add the hops at 60 minutes and 90 minutes and 120 minutes? And like, oh, what are this? This is bittering hops. And these are flavor hops. And this is going to get her color and taste. And why this malt? And why does all these breweries use the same base malt? Or why do you use this malt for this? And what is Maris Otter in a barley wine? And what is the difference between American and uh, an English style of barley wine? And, you know, all that good stuff. And it's just... It's a when you actually sit there and learn and it's just amazing and you get so much more education and you appreciate the beer that you're drinking so much more. Like Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, it's everyone's always everyone's favorite. Everyone said, what's your favorite beer of all time? They say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And that's great. And it's always used for sensory. Why? Because it's clean. It's it gives you exactly what you need as a baseline beer. And then you could add all your tablets and stuff and then taste the off flavors very easily. But everyone goes, that's their favorite craft beer of all time. And I haven't, there's a, maybe a few others out there, but I would say 85% of people always say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. But it sounds like the revolution is starting here and I'm, I'm all for it. So no, and then, and then I'm looking forward to visiting your, your brewery when, when it, when it opens well, thank up. Thank you. I'm looking, looking forward encourage. to sharing a beer with you. It's going to be a lot of really good lager beer and cask ale and we're going to have fun stuff too, but mostly nice. traditional styles, properly served. And I'm going to encourage everybody to go find Aaron online and learn more about what he's doing with Arrive these days. And then certainly, uh, Tom, all of the charity work that you're doing and certainly going to the Alex Kidd fundraiser on the GoFundMe. Uh, there's a there's a particular number goal that is certainly within reach at the moment. And it'd be nice to 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 see it get there. But thank you for your work on that. And thanks for all three of you for sort of rekindling the love for 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 beer on this Valentine's Day show. I really appreciate it. What do you love about beer? Tell me all about it. My email, it's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, or guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content, as well as the archives going all the way back to 1979. Follow All About Beer on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. One more time, don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And check out probrewer.com each week for original articles from the All About Beer team. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>